welcome to those of you who are new here today. My name is Alex, and uh, we're delighted if you're joining us here for the very first time, especially if this is your first time ever or first time in a long time in a church, uh, whether you're in person or online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What we are all about is connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, so together we can engage his world for good. We get to experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. We're like halfway through a series called uh, Inner Strength, Building a Resilient Core. The goal of this series is to equip all of us to be able to leave, uh, live more resiliently in the face of all the ups and downs of life and uh, in, in a culture that is chronically more anxious and depressed than ever before. Wouldn't it be great to be more resilient in the face of all those challenges? And at the beginning, we talked about how there's a, a couple of key resilient decisions that we can make in order to get to this place of resilience. One is that internal world work that if you believe lies, if you're kind of hung up on lies about who you are, who you're not, or kind of what life's all about, then that will make us less resilient. So we spent the first couple of weeks doing internal world work of thoughts and kind of attitudes. And if you missed all that, you can go online and watch that uh, first few weeks of the series. And then the second part of this whole series is about being a part of resilient making community, a, a community that helps to mutually reinforce one another that we might become people that God designed us to be, strong and resilient. That's our goal for the course of the series. What does it look like for Chatham Community Church to be a mutually reinforcing, resilience-making community. That if you came in here beat up and weary and exhausted, and you got plugged in and connected, you would, over time, experience healing, growth, transformation. Came in here lost, leave found. Came in here struggling and hurting and alone, leave here befriended. You came in here uh, maybe all tangled up in sin or shame or guilt or ambivalence and apathy, and you leave here equipped to live a life of faith, hope, and love. We are hoping and praying by God's grace that we might become a community of people that help each other to become more and more resilient. And today we're talking about what kind of content does the community need to have in order to be a resilience-creating kind of community. Because every community you ever hung out with, it has some sort of a content to it, whether you're volunteering together and serving like a Habitat project, or you're just getting together with people in the neighborhood and complaining about the school or the people around you. Every community has some sort of a content, has some sort of a content, mission, purpose, or something you're doing together. And here's what's true, that the, the content of the community plus the character of the people involved in that community will determine the impact of that community on your character. The content of the community, what the community is about, the mission, the purpose, what you're doing together, plus the character of the people involved, the, what they're like, what the people are like, determines the impact of the community on your own character. Some of us have been in like volunteer situations, right, with a great purpose statement, a great mission statement, and all kinds of good they're doing in the community, but the people involved were totally toxic, right, unhealthy. And so the, the impact on you was not particularly pleasant. You, you might have loved the mission and what they're trying to do in the community, but you, the people involved were so dysfunctional that you're like, I'm out. And on the other hand, almost all of us have had an experience where we were forced to do something we weren't excited about. We didn't like, we didn't love, but the people we worked with were fantastic. But over time, eventually, that too is wearying, right? After a while, if you're doing a job that feels pointless or you just don't like or don't love or don't appreciate, you're not going to stay there for very long. It's not going to make you a necessarily a kind of more resilient person. But here's the thing. When you get a community of people that are doing something spectacular that captures your imagination, that's worth giving your time, effort, energy, your life for, and you do that work with people who are exceptional people, just outstanding human beings. When you have both those things in play, the result is the kind of community you tell your kids about. 
The result is the kind of experience of work and community that you look back on it many years later and say, that community shaped me in a way that nothing else has. That community had disproportionate impact on me and on the world around us. Today we're going to talk about, well, last week we talked about, what does it mean for us to be kind of the kind of people that God calls us to be? We talked about the quality of our character. We talked about humility, bearing with one another, being patient, forgiving one another, fighting for unity. We talked about these beautiful biblical characteristics that if we cultivate them, they'll help us to become resilient kind of people and resilience-making kind of community. Today we're talking about the content of our community. What is Chatham Community Church about? Why do we exist? What is our purpose here and the way that we state it in our kind of our core values list we talk about this core value of being gospel centered and the the word gospel in the new testament just means good news that means that we are good news centered what that means is we're not angry centered anyone know communities that are built around being angry at the right people this set of people all the time anyone know any churches that have spent a lot of effort and energy being angry at the world we're not fear centered or fear based anyone know Communities around you or even churches that are trading on fear. We're not guilt and shame based either. Lots of churches trade on guilt and shame. It's a great way to mobilize people for a short period of time, but it's not very effective long term. We are gospel-centered, good news-centered, specifically the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We believe that that has transformed, that the power of God released into the world that we just sang about to transform the world and transform each of us individually. And even though that this is like the best news in the world, like even though it's the best news in the world, churches so often forget. This is why we exist. 2,000 years of church history has shown that when churches put the good news front and center and keep the good news front and center, it bears disproportionate fruit. And yet it's so easy to forget that this is why we exist. We're here to be good news-centered people and good news-centered community. Now this is what Paul is sort of having to fight for as he writes his letter to the Corinthians that Elizabeth just read for us. Now, if you don't know much about the Corinthians, Paul helped start the, the church in Corinth and then he left and traveled. And the church in Corinth becomes literally the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament. Like if you want to feel better about your life, just read what Paul has to put up with, with the Corinthians, right? They're, they're, they're just a pain in his backside. In the South, we say hot mess and bless their heart. If you put them both together, it's really bad. That is the Corinthians. They are a hot mess, bless their hearts. And Paul's having to do a couple things in his letters to the Corinthians. One, there's some people who turned against him and kind of doubted his authority and what he's doing. So he's having to defend his ministry among them, even though he lived with them and uh, they owe kind of their whole faith to them. So he's having to defend his ministry at the same time. He's trying to call them to be a gospel-centered, a good news kind of community. And so he's pouring out all this ink, trying to help them understand what it means for them to be a gospel-centered community. And in the midst of him defending his ministry and calling them back to the core of the good news, we get this beautiful, beautiful explanation, this depiction of the gospel, what it means to live for the gospel that Elizabeth just read. Here's, here's uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.14 again. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. One of the fantastic things about the internet is it seamlessly creates content that will completely waste your time. It's like one of those internet superpowers, right? And so one of, the, one of the things that's exploded in the last 10 years are these personality quizzes. Have you seen these? Like, which Star Wars character would you be? 
Like, which school in Hogwarts would you, fit, would you be in and why from Harry Potter? And my personal favorite I found this week, we'll tell you which Disney princess you would be if you build your own wardrobe from scratch. I always wanted to know which Disney princess I would be. Thank you very much. But one of the most helpful, actually, uh, personality assessment tools that I found and that many of us have found is a tool called the Enneagram. There's a, a book outside in the lobby called The Road Back to You that is an explanation of the Enneagram. And part of what I love about the Enneagram is it's, it's kind of simple, actually. There's only nine numbers, and the nine numbers basically tell you why do you do what you do. Why do you show up in the world the way that you show up? It's, it's getting to the core of your motivation. What drives you? So, for example, the two is the helper or the need to be needed. Does anyone here know someone who needs to be needed? Who loves to be needed? Who comes alive when there's a need to meet, right? So the need to be needed, that's a, that's a core motivator for some of us here in this room. Another one is the eight. It's the challenger, the need to be against. Some of you love a good fight. Some of you love it when there's something to fight for or something to fight against, right? That's the, the challenger, the need to be against something. And then there's the three, the achiever. That's the one that I am. Like, I love to set goals and then crush the goals. Like, to achieve and accomplish things is something that's sort of a why behind me. One of the things I love about the Enneagram is it tells you why you show up in the world that you, the way you do. Because here's what's true. Your motivator, your internal core motivations will either consume you or bless you. It just depends if they're redeemed or not. The why behind what you're doing can be a, a blessing to you and those around you, or it can totally eat you up. Like it could be a bottomless pit of trying to feed and feed and pursue and chase after and chase after and chase after. As Paul is launching into the defense of his ministry and trying to get the Corinthians to come back to the gospel he taught them, Paul talks about the why behind why he showed up the way that he did. He talks about the why behind what him and his people are doing in this opening phrase, for Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one, that's Christ, died for all. So here's the question. What's the core motivator for Paul? Not power. Not applause. Not approval. Not money. What's the core motivator for Paul? Christ's love compels us. And Paul writes, he had to be convinced of that. If you don't know Paul's story, Paul was arresting and persecuting Christians for, uh, for his, his entire adult life. He thought the whole Jesus thing was a fraud and that this needed to be eradicated. That he met Jesus and had to be convinced that Jesus was kind of God's solution to problems he didn't even realize that the world had. And so he has to go through this massive transformation. But he's now been convinced that God has done something utterly unique in Christ's death and resurrection that nothing else can do. And so, you know what matters to him? No more. Money doesn't matter to him anymore. He was climbing a career. He was like a celebrity. He was like an up-and-coming young star in the religious circles. He said, that doesn't matter anymore. I don't, I don't care about any of that. My reputation doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Christ's love is what compels Paul to go and live the way that he lived. And when Christ's love is replacing lesser and smaller motivations, that's when we become resilient people and resilient-making community. He says Christ's love compels us because Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Christ, the one who gave himself up and died for them. So Christ's love compelled Christ to lay down his life for all of us. And then Christ's love, as we grab a hold of Christ's love, as we capture it, it compels us to then live the way that Jesus did, which is love for God, love for each other, and love for our neighbor who's 
not here. What does it mean for us to have Christ's love compel and captivate us? June 27th, 1998, I am about T-minus one hour away from marrying a woman that I'm sure said yes accidentally. And I'm hoping that she shows up and that all goes well, that she doesn't come to her senses in the next hour, right? And my dad, who's my best man, who does this so well and so often, he just checks in on me. Hey, Alex, how you feeling? How you doing? Now, I'm not usually this OCD, okay? But I had an OCD moment the day of my wedding. And I say to my dad, Dad, I, I, I'm fine. Everything's good. I just had this one little thing that's annoying me. I thought my socks were black, but they're navy blue. And it's bothering me. And my dad says to me, no problem. I got black socks. Let's switch. And so 45 minutes before my wedding, my dad and I are barefoot, swept socks. And it's such a great picture of my dad who has blessed me and come alongside me and asked how I'm doing and done whatever it takes over and over and over again. His love for me demonstrated through, that's just a small sacrifice, a small thing, right? But that's just a small picture of what my dad has done over and over and over again. Made sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, asked questions, pursued, come alongside, and done whatever it takes to make things work. That's my, my, both my parents are like that. They're amazing people. And so my parents' love would compel me to do almost anything for them. Like if I got a text this morning saying, we need you, can you drive a couple hours down to come see us this afternoon? You know what I would forego? I would forego my Sunday afternoon in front of football nap for my parents. That is sacrifice right there, okay? No greater love has Alex than I forego my Sunday afternoon in front of football nap for something or someone else, right? But I would be willing to make that sacrifice because their love for me has been so sacrificial over and over and over again. And their love for me would compel me to do almost anything. And the invitation this morning is for us to get our hearts and our minds around Christ's tremendous sacrifice for you and for me. So that his magnificent love might compel you to do everything, anything. To be a person who's so soaked in Christ's tremendous sacrifice. He died for me. He laid down his life for me. That his love might compel me to do whatever God would call me to do. Paul is calling the Corinthians to live, a people, live as people who are compelled by Christ's love. That's the goal. That's the point. That's what Paul wants to see happen. That's the good news that Paul wants the Corinthians to build a community around. And that's the invitation to you and to me. What would it look like to soak in the love of Christ this week? So that it was driving more of your decisions. What if Christ's love compelled you 10% uh, more of the time? 10% more of the time. What if Christ's love compelled you to deal with your kids that are driving you crazy? Little kids, medium-sized kids, adult kids going off the rails, making terrible decisions. How would Christ's love compel you to love your kids differently or to respond differently? How might Christ's love, Christ's love compel you to serve, uh, be on uh, uh, your team, your teammates at school, at, at school, or uh, at work, or among your retirement community, or managing your money problems, or your medical problems, or caring for a spouse, or aging parents? How might Christ's love compelling you, motivating you more and more, change how you showed up in the world? What would it look like for you to soak in Christ's love this week, and just surrender to it? And let that be the thing that captured your imagination, that drove how you worked, how you played, how you parented, how you grandparented, how you showed up at school or related to conflicts or challenges or neighbors anywhere you go. Now, 
We're going to talk more about what that looks like at the very end, how you might soak in that this week. But notice that it's not just how Christ's love compels me, Paul says. Paul's, Paul's talking about the us, all of us together. Christ's love compels us. See, when a church forgets that Christ's love is to be the compelling energy behind it, you know what churches devolve into? The same thing every human organization devolves into. Fighting, factions, fiefdoms, disintegration. Every human organization ever, that's what happens to it. But when churches remember that it's Christ's love that's compelling us, it's driving us, it's the beginning and the end of this whole thing, it produces disproportionate fruit. It, is, it lasts longer. It is more life-giving to the people involved and to the community around us. Since the beginning of Chatham Community Church, the question Chatham Community Church has had hanging over it is, how do we serve and love all of Chatham County? Chatham County is a giant spread out county. It's really, really large, but it's not very densely populated. So we got small populations spread out across this whole kind of geography. And the question is, how would Christ's love compel Chatham Community Church to serve and love Chatham County. We are here to bless Chatham County. So back in 2012, we looked at the map. We're like, well, we're, we're, up here. we're up there in North Chatham. And we're like, okay, we're here to bless this map. We are here to bless this map. How do we bless this map? Well, one way that could look is, well, what if we planted a campus down in Pittsburgh and planted another campus out in Siler City? And if we did that, almost all of Chatham County would be about 20 minutes driving distance of a contemporary non-denominational church. Because back in 2012, we were the only contemporary non-denominational church in the whole county. So we're just trying to get, like, an offering. We're trying to offer the county a contemporary non-denominational church here in Chatham County as Chatham County is growing so, so fast. How do we bless all of Chatham County, and how do we serve a community that is so underserved with churches? So back in 2017, we planted Pittsburgh. And by God's grace, one church, two locations. We share one budget. We share one leadership team, one staff team. By God's grace, so many good things have happened down in Pittsburgh. They've got a baptism down there today. Just great, great things happening down in Pittsburgh. But since we started Pittsburgh's campus in 2017, a few things have happened. You might have noticed. There's this global pandemic thing that happened in 2020. We got through that. We opened this building a year and a half ago. So much has gone on, and we've been so kind of caught up. So now what we're doing, finally, is taking a step back and asking the question, would Christ's love compel us to start something in Souter City? And, the, and, and we're going we're gonna to get together tonight, and over the course of the next couple months, we're going to be like one a month for the next three months, we're going to get together and pray. Christ, is, Jesus, is your love compelling us to start another campus in Souter City? And the answer to that might be, no, don't do that. Or not, not, not now, not yet. We're like, okay, we'll spend those resources and those energies finding other ways to bless Chatham County, because that's what we're here to do. Christ, would your, Jesus, would your love compel us to start another campus in Souther City? The answer is no. We're totally great with that. But I want to invite you, I want to invite you to come join me tonight. Down in Pittsburgh, we're going to pray, 7 o'clock at Chatham Mills campus. Come and join me in prayer, asking God, God, would you bless all of Chatham County, and would this be one expression of how you want to pour out your love for our community? And if the answer is no, we're totally great with that. We'll, we'll open-handedly say, okay, God, how would you have us to live? Christ's love compels us as Chatham Community Church to love like he loved. Love for God, love for neighbor, worship, service, doing the things that God has called us to do. And we're praying by God's grace that our, our church community might reflect more and more what God's love looks like for our community. Now, 
this passage is so dense and so thick. We could do like a five-week series just on this passage. So it's going to pain me to have to pick out just a few things to highlight. But I want to I read back through because at every turn, there's just more and more good news. At every turn, there's more good news about what God has done and the life he's inviting us into. So let's read through this, the, the section starting in verse 16 again. Starts with really good news. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. So we don't care about what, we, we don't attend to or rank people according to status, what they do, how much money they make. We don't see anyone from a worldly point of view. In fact, Paul says, I once saw Jesus that way. I thought he was a fraud and a failure. Now I'm looking at him through a whole different lens. More good news. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come the old has gone, the new is here. If you're here today and you know you need new, if you're here today and you know you need new, new power, new strength, new hope, welcome to Jesus. He has come to make you and everything new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the good news we work out of, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the greatest news of all. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to highlight one thing that Paul says about us. He gives us his, himself and us this great title. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. In my small group, we have a delightful couple who grew up in India and went to Boston for, uh, for college. And they lived in Boston for like over 10 years, lived and worked in Boston. And then about a year and a half ago, they moved to Pittsburgh because everyone's moving from Boston to Pittsburgh. Amen. It's like a rut in the road from Boston to Pittsburgh. I mean, Bostonians flooding all of Pittsburgh and all of Johnson County. Beware. So in my small group, we were, we were talking about this passage. And we talked about this whole idea of being ambassadors. And so I said to my small group, okay, Karuna and Karthik, you guys sit over here. For the rest of us, what if the U.S. government tapped you on the shoulder and said, I want you to be an ambassador to India? What would that be like? What would your job be? And we talked about like... Oh, yeah, we would be representing the United States. We would be maybe heading off conflicts or we try to build peaceful relationships and help them to kind of manage whatever challenges, whatever way we could, right? So we talked about the ambassadorship to India, what that, what that, what that would look like. It would be kind of stretching, but it would be a, a good job. And then we talked about, well, what does it mean for us to be ambassadors for Christ, to be Christ's ambassadors? And people are like, whoa, that's a hard job because nobody around us wants to hear about it. I got family and coworkers and friends, and they're not that interested in God or Jesus, or they got, they're resistant, or they're upset, or whatever. And I get that, right? Most of us have people, most of us who are following Jesus, have people in our life that we would love to talk about faith to, that they have no interest to, no interest to hear anything about it. And so I said to them, well, let's go back to what an ambassador's job is. Let's, let's talk about an ambassador's job this way. And an ambassador translates their home culture to a foreign culture that they live among in a way that that foreign culture can understand. That's what an ambassador's job is. Right? An ambassador, if you were an ambassador to India, your job would be to represent the United States' values and foreign policy to a culture that doesn't share the same values, doesn't share the same foreign policy, but you, you're, you're trying your best to translate and build bridges all that you can. An ambassador's job is to take the home culture that they come from, 
bring it to a foreign culture, live among them, love those people, and then share those values and share that, that, that grid and invite people to kind of cooperate and be a part of what's happening in this community. That's what ambassadors for Christ do. We translate the kingdom of God, the work of Jesus, to a people that we love and live among, where God has put us, right? We find ways to put language around as best we can to try to interpret, help people understand what's going on. This is what Paul's doing with the Corinthians, right? The Corinthians have totally lost their way. So he's pleading with them and writing to them and helping them to understand what is this good news? What is this gospel? What is this thing that Jesus has come to do? It's totally foreign. It's totally alien. He's trying to interpret it and translate it for them. Chatham Community Church, we are here on a diplomatic mission from Jesus to represent the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the United States of America. And they have totally different values. There's, to, there's all kinds of differences, all kinds of things that people are resistant to and don't understand. But our job is to do, do everything we can to interpret and to build a bridge to say, here's what God has done in Jesus. I know that doesn't make sense to you. Let me help. Let me try to explain it to you as best I possibly can. We are Christ's ambassadors, translating God's stuff for our friends and family as best as we possibly can. And the core part that Paul comes back to over and over and over again, this core word that's at the center of what his message is about, his work is about, he repeats a bunch of times in this passage. The word reconciled and reconciliation, he repeats over and over and over again. So I'm going to reread this passage, and everywhere the word reconciliation pops up, it's going to be in yellow or gold. I want you to read it with me, because this is so the core of the gospel good news that we are here to build our community on. Let's read this uh, reconciled words together, starting verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the core of a resilience-making community is the message of reconciliation between God and humanity. And this is a, a, just a Bible-reading tip. Anytime you see a word repeated five times in three, four verses, that's pretty much the big idea. That's the thing that Paul's trying to hammer home over and over and over again. Reconciled relationships. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to see broken relationships are everywhere. Family, broken relationships in families, between siblings, parents, divorces. And then, of course, there's the different uh, cliques and different conflicts online, social media, politics, all this broken relationships, right? The Christian message is this. All those broken relationships are just the symptom of a deeper problem that we've been cut off from God. When we're cut off from the source of unity... We're cut off from the power that reconciles us. We're cut off from the God who brings people together like nothing else can. The only result possible is disintegration. We have been estranged from God through sin. As we've rebelled against God in thoughts, words, deeds, what we've done, what we've left undone. That we, have we are estranged from God. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he has come to reconcile us to God. And from that reconciliation with God flows every other reconciliation. All the healing for all the problems, everything that disintegrates in our world will be made new by the God who has come to unify us and bring all these things together once again. 
God made his sin, his son, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you're not yet reconciled to God, if you're not yet connected to God, not yet received that grace upon you, we are so glad you're here. Welcome. This is the good news. This is the good news. Now here's the challenge. As an ambassador for Christ, here's, here's the challenge. I know that most people don't think this is their biggest problem in the world. If we took a poll of all of Chatham County, what's your biggest problem? No one would say estrangement from God due to my sin. Right? That would not be a top, that would not be, if this was family feud, top 10 answers on the board, it wouldn't make the board. Right? Not even, not, not anywhere close. Right? So I know, as an ambassador for Christ, I know this is not the problem that you feel if you're not a Jesus person. So let me see if I can interpret it as best I can, okay? I'm going to try to a people I love, to a nation I love, to you who I love. Let me see if I can interpret it as an ambassador for Christ as best I can because I'm living in a foreign country and I know that you don't understand. It totally makes sense to me. Let, me. let me see if I can explain it. This world is broken, right? All these ways. And there's all these efforts that we've put into it. Political solutions, economic solutions, legal solutions. And those aren't all bad, Right? And then even psychology and therapy, all, all, again, all those things to be helpful. But none of them cut deep enough to get to the core of the problem. They're just band-aids, right? There's band-aids. And so what do we do? What do we do with all this brokenness? Well, we try to manage it as best we can. We try to self-soothe as best we can. Let me just binge on Netflix or drink a little too much or just shop more or retreat more or achieve more and accomplish more. We try all these ways to soothe, to manage the fact that things aren't quite right in the world or with us inside. And what I'm telling you, what I'm saying to you is I just want you to wake up and see that these things are temporary solutions. They're band-aids over a much larger problem. And the larger problem, the way that God describes it in the scriptures, is that we've been cut off from God. We've been estranged from God due to our sin. And so what God did, God so loved the world. He sent his son to take our sin on himself so that we would no longer be estranged from God. Everything else, all other problems in the world, from cancers to broken families to broken politics, stem from our estrangement from God. And once you step into this world... Once you understand that God so loved the world, he sent his son to do reconciliation work, you start to see the power of it, the beauty of it. God made the whole world to run on relationships. Everything from relationships within our bodies to relationships in the environment to relationships with one another. And when relationships break down, the whole created order breaks down. And so what God has done in Jesus is unleash power to reconcile broken relationships. And so if you're here this morning and you have not yet been reconciled to God, I urge you, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is your moment. This is why you're here today. Be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness, the rightness of God, an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation to make things whole and new again. And when that good news is at the center of Chatham Community Church, we are a resilience-making, resilience-creating community of reconciliation, loving our neighbor the way that Jesus calls us to. Today's wildly important take-home is just the good news that a gospel-centered community makes us a resilience-creating community. And I want to invite you to start with the soak in Christ's love for us, that it might compel more of your life this week. The whole idea that Christ's love compels us. I want to invite you to sort of soak in this. I'm going to give you a few steps you can do, and they're going to be in the handout on the way out. And if you're online, you can obviously just pause the video and kind of jot these down. But I'm going to give you a few things that you're going to, to invite you and exercise to do this week. I want to invite you to spend 15 minutes, four or five days this week, with the passage we are in today. 1 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Just spend 
15 minutes or less, all you got to do, okay? And I want to invite you to, to open with prayer. prayer. God, I want your love to replace other motivations. I want your love to compel me, to motivate me, and maybe even displace or replace other things that have driven me or motivated me along the way. And then I want you to read slowly, three times out loud, the passage. Three times, same passage, read three times slowly out loud. Maybe to memorize it, but especially to let it shape you, to interiorize it, if that's a word. To let it sort of shape your heart and your mind, your spirit. To, to meditate on Christ's sacrifice for you, because sacrifice is one of the ways that love gets demonstrated, right? That's how, that's how we understand God's love for us, that, that tremendous gift of grace and mercy. And then different days, you're reading the same passage every day, four or five days. Different days, different phrases or words are going to stand out to you. So whatever stands out to you that day, pray back to the Lord. Sit on it. Pray back to the Lord. Say, God, I offer this back to you. Help me understand it. Help me to grow in it. Help me to kind of step into it. I want to invite you to do this this week. Again, this is on the handout on the way out or online. You can just pause right here and this will be the whole thing. I want to invite you to do this this week as a way to soak in Christ's tremendous love for you that Christ's love might motivate 10% more of your life this week. You know what a difference that would make in how you showed up in the world? If Christ's love is motivating you, maybe 10% more in your life this week? Second thing, today's wildly important take home. A resilience-making community is compelled by Christ's love to not just live for ourselves, but for him. That we live for him according to the way that he lived. We love, we love God, we love each other, we love our neighbors as best we possibly can. Because the thing that's driving us, the why behind who we are, is either going to bless us or will consume us. And the invitation to sort of live for Christ, live for God, and live the life that he's lived and mirror that as best we can is part of what makes us a resilience-making community community. We want to do that individually and as a church. Third, ambassadors translate their culture to another one in ways that other cultures can understand. What does it look like for us to take up that task? We have two people in my small group from New York. New Yorkers are brutally direct, obnoxiously correct, direct, some might say. Some might say annoyingly direct, amen? New Yorkers, seriously. Jersey's worse. Southerners, if you've got Southern family, it's a little bit more genteel, a little more indirect, a little bit more roundabout kind of a way, right? So listen, finding ways to translate the good news. Be an ambassador. Be an ambassador for Christ's good news of reconciliation. Where has God put you? And what does it mean to do that translation work as best you possibly can? My prayer for 2023 has been that the Holy Spirit would release more gifts here. More gifts. More gifts in you and through you. Some of those gifts might be radical hospitality. That you and I would have people in our homes and welcome our neighbors and friends. That you would have eyes to see people at work or in the neighborhood or in your community who are hurting and struggling. And say, let's get lunch. Let me buy you, let me buy you coffee. Hey, can I pray for you? I don't know if you're a, a God person at all, but can I pray for you? And can I, can I tell you the good news of a God who loved us so much he put our pieces back together again even when we're struggling and in pain? I'm praying for God to release more gifts. Service gifts. We're going to do Chatham Serve next month. That's one of the ways we tangibly demonstrate God's great love for our community, finding ways to translate that love in ways that they can hear. Finally, Christ's work of reconciliation is the content of our community. That's the resilience creating good news at the center of who we are. The good news that Christ has reconciled us to God by taking sin on himself. That's the center of what we're doing, the message and ministry and power of reconciliation. That's at the center of who we are and what we're about. And that, by God's grace, is what makes us into the resilience-creating community he has called us to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for taking on all our sin, for becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness, the rightness of God here in this earth. And Lord, my prayer is that you would make us into a community that's built on this good news, centered, grounded on this good news. Help us not to lose sight of this tremendous good 
news. Lord, for my friends who are here, who have not yet been reconciled to you, I pray in this moment they would hear you, they would hear you sense you, tapping them on the shoulder, inviting them in. And Lord, they didn't think this was the biggest problem. They didn't think this was the biggest need. They didn't think that they were estranged from you maybe. They didn't think that sin was the biggest problem. And yet by your grace, you're inviting us into a larger world, understanding the world in a bigger way. To understand here's the problem, sin and estrangement from God. And here's the solution, Jesus' death on the cross to wash away all sin, to invite us back into wholeness with you and with one another. And so, Lord, for my friends who are here who don't yet know that wholeness, don't yet know that grace, have not yet been reconciled to you, would they respond right now with a gentle yes? Yes to your invitation. Yes to your love. Lord, I pray for our church to have your love compel us in all that we do, all the ways that we express church, especially to our community, but also to one another here inside the community. Lord, would your love compel us to love and serve one another, to lay down our lives for one another, just like you laid your life down for us? Would you help us to be ambassadors for you? Would you teach us what that means, what that looks like? Would you give us words and understanding that we might be able to interpret the wonders of your great love and your kingdom to the neighbors and friends and people all around us? Lord Jesus, would you make us ambassadors? You have made us ambassadors. Would we represent you faithfully and well? And Lord, would this be a resilience-creating community as we grow and knowing this good news, living out of this good news, and, and telling and declaring and living out this good news? to the world around us. We ask in Jesus' strong mighty name. Amen. Amen.